0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the JWB Dynasty Digest. He's Skyler. I'm White. Tonight, we got our guy, Tim, joining us for this episode. where We're going to be talking about some accountability and some players that we missed on this year. We're going to roll that intro, but while we do, if you're not subscribed yet, make sure to scroll down, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. Join us on this journey. We appreciate you. See you on the other side.
1: He has the hearts of a lot of fantasy players.
0: I like it a lot, honestly. I like I'm I'm in for death
1: taxes and the 2022 water scene request.
0: I like what you were saying, Skylar. N- no player is completely untouchable.
1: I think you guys really
2: I had not I have not really heard this yet. I listened to a lot of positive and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed.
0: What's going on? Accountability is the name of the game tonight. Skylar and I have thought about some of the players that we've missed on the most. Now You may be thinking there's some names here that like, hey, I've seen your takes. I know you missed on this player, but I encourage you to go look through our clips catalog that you can find our Patreon for free. You will probably find us talking about some of those players we missed on. In fact, we talked about James Cook recently, how we were kind of wrong on that a little bit. But we're going to be talking about these players. Tim is going to be giving us his perspective on these players I'm going to get right into it, guys. Uh, The first one is one that, like, the entire team was in on Deshaun Watson going into the year. We were all thinking, yes, you know, this time he had with Cleveland the year prior, Rust was there. That helps explain what happened. But we've got a much bigger sample size of him in Houston being really good. You know, at least 20.7 points per game every year that he was in Houston. And like me personally going into this off season, I was looking at him top 10 dynasty QB. I was saying he's a second round startup pick. We were advising that. Uh, and then he went and scored basically the same points per game as he did in the year prior. And the six games in 2022 is 14.3 points in six games this year, 14.5 points per game. Okay. Now I think there's reason to look at like what he did. And like we could point to as the season was going on, things were starting to improve for him, but The fact of the matter is, is that like he was not performing up to where we'd want. I think it's a reasonable belief that he, uh, he may not get there again. And his dynasty value has taken a massive hit because of this. So this is one just, we think we all kind of missed on, but where do we go from here with that Skylar?
1: Yeah. Well, First thing with Deshaun Watson is he's just he's just a hold for me. Like there's there's no if I have Deshaun Watson, I'm trying to get out of get get out of him, get rid of him. I'm throwing that completely out the window. Cause the offers you're gonna get are gonna be two seconds. I think the best offer you're gonna get is like the 110 to the 112, which there's no way I'm trading a late first for a quarterback that we've seen be a top five guy. Now I know we're saying We got Deshaun Watson wrong. I wish we got to see more than what the six games from Deshaun Watson this year. They weren't great, but he did have a couple. Okay. Games in there. The team's record was great. So it's not like he was asked to do a whole lot. They didn't need him to be Houston. Deshaun Watson for that team to go out there and win football games. Obviously I think with what we've seen from Joe Flacco makes a lot of manners like, Hey, maybe we should have seen Deshaun Watson doing this. Why couldn't he air the ball out like a 38 year old quarterback out there is doing right now. And I think with Deshaun Watson, the reason I'm still not out is, yes, the age. We're talking about a guy who's still on the correct side of 30, a guy who has proven before, a guy who he was still running the ball five or six times a game. And with that, I think there's just still an upside that you're not going to get from guys that have quarterback 18 to 20 prices. At the end of the day, that's it, right? He's dynasty value took a massive hit, as you mentioned. But it's so massive that, what are you taking around there, right? What's quarterback 20 at points in the season? That was like the will Levises of the world, just sitting right at that value prop. And there's just no way I'm going to look at the next hot thing and value that over to Sean Watson. I know he's a tough player to root for. I know he's had a really gross three years. He's just been a clog for that time period. I think at this point, yes, there's, you might view it as a sunk cost fallacy from, well, I've waited three years, but I really do feel like you can do nothing but wait on Deshaun Sean Watson and hope. Somewhere in there, we know once upon a time you could play football and he's not old and he's still tied to a lot of money on a good team. I'm not giving up on Deshaun Watson just yet. If anything, I think if you're in a team that's real comfortable and you're, you're asset rich and you can go grab him for the 110 to the 202, sure, I'll slap him on there. It's a luxury to have a quarterback three anyway. You're just playing upside. This year with quarterback, it was an absolute roulette with injuries. If he happens to be the guy healthy halfway through next year, even if he's not incredible there's probably ROI there um so as much as it might sound like doubling down I, I can't I can't quit Deshaun just yet
0: I mean maybe doubling doubling down but it's doubling down at significantly less price than it was previously um Tim what do you think
2: I think the points per game number is very skewed because he had a game when he got injured and very close to negative points Is not negative points three of the six games he was in the top 12 at QB so he definitely showed that he can score points. The problem was it was they were very ugly. They're very Russ Wilson type games where you're like, how did he put up QB10 n- numbers this week? Because he was awful. Now I yeah. I was expecting a much better Russ than what we got, and I understand like it's really hard to get away from a quarterback that's QB5, QB5, QB5 three straight years in a row in Houston, and we're just we're expecting that to come back at some point. I agree with the contract situation. I think that for sure that he's he's. I don't see him going anywhere. I mean, like, yeah, you could say that Flacco is going to compete for the starting job, but you think Cleveland can really bury three first round picks and all that money on the bench. I'm not sure that that that's something that they can even stomach themselves. So I think that he is safer to be a starter um, in future seasons. It's hard to say that the could be better or worse just because with Amari aging and them not really having that really defined second um, threat at wide receiver. I think there's a lot of opportunity for this team to get better or worse. So I think that he is a guy that you're definitely holding and you're probably not bidding against a lot of players trying to acquire his services. So I would wait as long as possible when trying to make a move for him if the price tag is a late first, not because of the fact that he's not worth it, but because of the fact that the situation may change with that pick where there's more more people vying for that pick where then you're getting better value for the return or you're not betting against yourself and you're paying less than that first. So I agree that I think he's a guy either are holding or the price is right. Go ahead and acquire him because you can never have too many
1: quarterbacks. Yeah, Tim, I got a question on that. Cleveland is still alive. They're in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a playoff game. And Joe Flacco is going to be starting that playoff game for the Cleveland Browns how do you feel about Deshaun Watson in two scenarios? Either one, Joe Flacco wins a playoff game plays well, who knows how far they go, but the taste at the end of the season is Joe Flacco positive, or he goes out there and it's a disaster and they flame out in their first playoff game because the the shoe finally falls for Joe Flacco. How do you think those two scenarios change or affect Deshaun Watson's value? And do you think it's worthwhile you mentioned waiting do you think that those scenarios kind of play into waiting just as much maybe as like that late first accruing a little bit of excitement value well I think if we see if we see the team play well especially on offense where it's like the
2: supporting cast around Flacco is like flourishing then there could be a little bit more hope going into next season like oh they have found more weapons things like that that Chubb's coming back and um I'm forgetting his name, but the running back there right now that has found great success this year. Jerome Ford. Jerome Ford is a great second option and they they have a chance at a really good offense next year. But also, even if Flacco plays well, there could be an opportunity where in the preseason next year, he doesn't. And all that, that good feeling goes away very quickly. So I think if they play well, then you have this kind of aura around the team that could be good for his, Deshaun Watson's value by itself. But I don't really see anything that like, can really drive his value down. Yeah. If Flacco plays well, then like there's like pseudo opportunity for his value to go down, but like still Flacco's then a whole year older. He has all summer uh, opportunity to, even if you were to come back to potentially, you know, get injured in the off season or whatever. Cause when you're 30, 38, 39, that's a true, true threat. Just working out causes a real big problem with your body. (laughs) So I don't, I, I think if anything that it it hurts DeStrong's value, it just helps you acquire him for cheaper. And like you were saying, if that that rookie fever pick the the value goes up a little bit, that's also a possibility. So you might even be able to get something back in addition to Watson with that first. So I don't know. I I'm I'm for acquiring him. I just think that you could even hold and get get a better value on him in a couple months.
0: It's very possible. Let's go down to the next player that I've got here. That's Cam Akers. And because I really want to talk about Cam Akers because it leads us into a conversation about Kyron Williams. Cam Akers was someone I thought was a good one year bet because of what he did at the end of the season with the Rams while Kyron Williams was healthy on that team. So even though that had happened, we had news that the Rams really liked Kyron Williams. They were together on the field and Cam Akers was getting all the opportunities. So going into this summer when, it looked like Kyron Williams going to have a role in that team. To me, that meant he's probably just a third down back. I still like Cam Akers at cost for a bet for this year. And that caused me to miss on Kyron Williams. Now, the good thing is once we got Kyron Williams in that role with the Rams early in the season, and it was very clear, like it was literally the second game of the season. It was like, this is Kyron Williams' job. There's no debate about it. The first game, Cam Akers was still involved a lot. And then the second game, they're like, nah, that was trash. We don't need any more of that. At least, like, I know personally I changed tune very quickly to being like, yeah, I think this is real, what he's going to do with with the Rams this year. Um, But I do think, like, this is something that the signs were there for Kyron Williams. You're looking back to rookie year offseason, there's reports about how much they like him. But he gets that injury in the very first kickoff of the very first game, and that apparently lingered for him, with him all season long. They held him out of preseason this year. Like, I think there was – those signs all along. The good news is that you know, like I did switch. Uh, I think everybody, you know, nobody really had the confidence that Kyron Williams would go out and do anything close to this. Even the people who are confident in Kyron Williams didn't think like anything more than he might get me some bi-week fill-in stuff. But like Tim, do, what do you think like we learned from Kyron Williams here and how do we feel about him?
2: I do like the part of the conversation that you brought up about how they held him out of preseason. That kind of, that should tell us a lot that they don't even have to, they, they weren't guessing. They weren't like, oh, we're going to waver on this as well as how swiftly they were to move acres and almost for nothing. So I acres could just be a locker room problem that, that, that caused you know, created the opportunity for, for Kyron, but I very much doubt that just based on the actions that the team took, because how many, how many times do you see a running back just not play at all? We saw Josh Jacobs play in the hall of fame game. And yes, Josh Jacobs was still what a top seven back that year, but he didn't even get out of not playing in the preseason.
0: Yeah. Skyler, what do we think about Kyron Williams, that situation, everything?
1: I think it was really tough because there's a few things that go into this. I think early on in the process on Kyron's rookie year, we actually hear the team spearheaded by, you know, Tyler's a a Notre Dame fan. We actually liked Kyron Williams. We liked the way he played. We thought that he could end up translating well into certain roles within the NFL, but then the combine happened. And the problem with the combine is it was such a faceplant. plant. We were like, this guy's toast. He's done. And then the NFL seemed to agree with us when he went essentially undrafted. The guy was a day three pick there. And it kind of, you know, a name that you could compare to this past year is a guy like Kenny McIntosh, who where his role you know, back in college last year, seemed well, this this could be useful in the NFL. A little bit of that Kyron game. He didn't run as mean. He wasn't necessarily as well-rounded as Kyron Williams, but as another guy who, when he got to the combine, absolute face plan. He's small, he's short, he's slow. And then the draft capital wasn't there. And so it was that that really pushed me off Kyron Williams. A little bit of a sheep to the consensus. Okay, he, he's fallen off. Even though we like the way this guy played, it doesn't matter. College isn't the NFL. And I think a lot of times, that saves us from ourselves. And I think sometimes it could also kind of blind us too much where, you know, we're not giving a player Kyron the shot. Maybe we should have as quick as we should have because of our perception of that draft capital and his 40 time and his, you know, his BMI. Right. Um, but with Kyron Williams, I think the big thing that we were overlooking was what you were saying, the Ts the, the reports from the team, the beat writers, it was there. They really were talking about this guy. And it's unfortunate that it was what, the first time he touched a ball in his rookie year, he went out with a broken foot, and we really didn't get to see anything. And for me, it just buried him down for me. I didn't I didn't view him anymore as a player who had a shot in the NFL because he was all these red flags combined by he didn't play his rookie year. So for me, he was kind of just out of the picture, and I'm on to the next guy. And a player like Zach Evans, who very early on, when we're looking at tape and we're looking back at guys in college, we're... I liked the player. I thought he was a top five back in the class. I mean, pre combine, I had I as like running back four, three, something like that around. Like guys like him and Sean Talker, I thought had good games. I thought Zach Evans played a little bit like Miles Sanders in how he'd have plays where you're like, this guy looks like. A, cl- a class back. This is a good running back. And then the next plate followed up. you be like, this guy shouldn't even be in the league. Right. So I thought he gave me a little bit of that where he showed the flashes, but it was inconsistent. And it was, no one really seemed to go to back for him from his program. You know, kind of like, I don't feel like miles Sanders has quite got the backing throughout his career. And so I was unsure exactly what it was of Zach Evans, but when we fell into a locker room where I didn't believe in cam makers, right? I think that was the difference between you and I interesting enough. Cause we both didn't end up with enough Kyron Williams on our dynasty. team. <laughs> Yeah. Is you were into Cam Akers, and so that blinds you like I don't need other guys. It's this is going to be Cam show the way he finished last year, the lack of depth behind him. It's just going to be Cam Akers. Why bother hedging around it? Whereas I felt I don't think Cam Akers is a barrier to entry, so why not take Zach Evans at the end of the third round? That's a free dart at a guy who could end up winning the entire job. And in this, we were blinded to exactly what Tim was saying. They were trying out. It was Ronnie Rivers battling against. Zach Evans like these guys were fighting for their roster spot not necessarily a cemented job and everything was reported to us that this was pretty confidently Kyron as the next guy up and I think maybe in a situation a lesson from this one I really don't believe in a player like Cam Akers maybe take more stabs behind the guy right if there is legitimacy to Leonard Fournette leaving maybe we shouldn't you know try to say okay well it's uh I forgot the uh, the satellite back that had had a history played for Washington for a while that was in Jacksonville. I was like, okay, well, this guy's probably the one who's going to get a little bit of. The, he's the one. He, he was with uh, Alfred Morris when they had a, a duo. I'm drawing a blank on the name at the moment. McKissick. Oh, no, it wasn't McKissick. No, it wasn't. Oh. McKissick. Um. I, I digress, though. People, Thompson, people Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson, that's yeah, the yeah, one. That's and I'm it. thinking, well, if a guy is going to get some run behind when F- Fortnite gets bounced, it's going to be Thompson. I don't put a whole lot of stock into this guy, right? Kind of like Kyron Williams. And I just kind of avoided you know, the backfield, and it, j- it just kept me away from even taking stabs at players like James Robinson just to throw a kind of a guy who was worth nothing and that became worth a good bit. Um, I think Kyron was a better back than James Robinson, but I'm just saying in general, when you believe that a backfield is going to change and it's a team that tends to give a lot of opportunity to one guy like Jacksonville did, like uh, the Rams and McVay are known to do, you probably should diversify and just go claim the whole backfield because it's so cheap. You could have gotten Raquel Armstead, Chris Thompson, and James Robinson for basically free. You could have gone and grabbed Kyron Williams for basically free. I know in a lot of you guys listening in your leagues, Kyron Williams might have even been a waiver ad early season. So I think that's my takeaway is when you really don't believe in a backfield like this, maybe scoop up all the cheap parts. Cause in dynasty, we have the luxury of an extended bench, right? It's not like redraft where you you're, you're missing out on some opportunity cost by grabbing all of these guys. You really can do that. And then maybe to Wyatt's point, if you did believe in Kmaker so much, I mean, if you believed in that opportunity, uh, maybe try to secure up what's behind him. I don't, that's a different, different argument. But for me, when I don't believe in a guy, maybe I should go diversify because I was a little bit too heavy on what I thought would have been an opportunity for Zach Evans and just completely whiffed on Kyron Williams. And then also when he took off, it wasn't until they got rid of Cam Akers that I even believed it because for me, we've got this, this back. I mean, he's stepping into a role where it was just opportunity driven. I didn't know if necessarily his talent and the opportunity would continue to play through there. Whereas to give you an example, another guy who did great week one, Kenneth Gainwell, right? I mean, K- Kenneth Gainwell week one came out, we're like, wow, I guess Kenneth Gainwell's the guy, like DeAndre Swift too, right? I mean, he, he people liked him in the past. People like Cam Akers in the past. So people, if you asked me after week one, would you rather have Kenneth Gainwell or Kyron Williams? I think a lot of people would have told you Kenneth Gainwell. So I think that's where, for me, I was just too slow to move on Kyron Williams. I was kind of in my classic mindset where when we have a significant value Jump. And I think a lot of Twitter or a lot of my league mates or a lot of the YouTube comments are a little bullish on a player that I don't think necessarily has a lot to hang your hat on. I'm just selling. That's typically my thing. I'm like, I'm going to take this smaller ROI. So any Kyron Williams, I had two on a taxi, uh, two different leagues, and I sold them for pretty much peanuts. Right. So, like the one deal I keep always bringing up, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about it later, was like Jahan Dawson. I tra- I sold Kyron Williams for Jahan Dawson and it felt like I just got to steal. And now I think Manners would kind of laugh that difference is at least, you know, at least a pretty, pretty nice mid first. So um, yeah. And, and to, I'll push this out. People probably, well, what's Kyron now? I mean, this is a guy, he, he's in your top 10 running backs for dynasty. I think he's very confident in there. I think you could have him as high as six. Like it, it gets really murky after that kind of top five. And I think Kyron has just so himself. I think he's a talented player. And for now I don't see any reason for them to go and, back up that back food. It's not something they typically do unless they have to. They're not hesitant to do it when they need to, but they don't need to. And he's played really well. Uh, and I think he's deserved the role. He's really well-rounded. He runs really hard. Um, that picture with him with Steven Jackson is pretty awesome this past mm-hmm. week. Yeah, I've I've kind of turned turned in on Kyron Williams, and I feel pretty confident moving forward. At least for another season, you're getting the back you think you have.
0: Tim, quickly, do you want to give like your little future look at Kyron Williams?
1: Yeah, I I think that
2: as most running backs nowadays, you should really be treating them treating them like year to year. And as Scholar said, I think he's solidified in his role for at least a year. You get to kind of lean into the scoring if you do have him. And if it ends up kind of burning out, you really didn't pay that much to get him if you've gotten him at the right time. And something else too, just kind of going back real quick about how maybe things that we learned I've always been the guy that like doesn't care what a running back runs in the 40 I understand that it helps your your upside and I always thought Kyron was going to be more of a satellite back but he's really proven that he can be a good runner inside and I think that that's just as valuable to prove that you can be a guy that can be a running back on early downs and you don't necessarily need speed to do that so like going back to, to Kyron I think he's proven to be really a bell cow back that can handle interior carries and actually get gain yardage off of them as well as like kind of push the pile a little bit because he runs so hard that I just think it proves valuable because once again, like you said, the Rams are going to try to lean on one guy and this is going to be the guy until like either he flames out or he, he gets injured again, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And, you know, while Kyron obviously doesn't have that top end speed, I think that was maybe even evident in college. He is a player, I think we can say with confidence that like he plays at a different speed on the field than he does when he's testing. Like there are those just those players like that who just test worse than they play on the field. I think Kyron is one of those players. Um, but Skylar, let's move on to a couple of the things you wanted to bring up today.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just the transition, right? When, when should you move on a pilot like yeah. a player like this? Cause there were manners after week one or week two who were all in on Kyra Williams. Like, Oh, I'm setting my first round pick for him. And I, I'm putting my hands on like, this is, this is a little, little crazy. I mean, but those same manner, there were manners out there after week one, I'm sitting a first for Puka Nakua and it's like, he's a day three wide receiver. I mean, crazy to get 17 targets or whatever it was week one, but my first round pick, that's quite the jump. And Those managers are really paying out now. I mean, especially because he probably helped you make that first really late because a lot of managers who did well this year had Puka Nakua on their roster. He really, really helped you. And I think he solidified himself right around that top 10 conversation. I think he's right around there where people are going to have Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's right around where people have Chris Olave, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle. I think he's right in that little group of wide receivers. And I think rightfully so. And if you moved early, you got the advantage. Typically speaking, I just don't love – moving early because more often than not, you are wrong, right? I mean, the first game we saw of Devon H he had 50 points. I'm like, there's no way I'm moving the farm for Devon Han. you know, in one league I sold him for Travis Kelsey. I felt pretty good about that. And it's looking going into next year. That is a clear value loss. And Travis Kelsey wasn't even a difference maker from that point on. Uh, you know, if anything, he hurt you some weeks. So I guess my, my, my question here, and maybe I'll throw it to Tim. When do you feel comfortable moving or changing your perspective on guys like Devon HN and Puka Nakua and Karen Williams, other names that are out there. Brock Purdy, we notorious in the channel were very slow to move. It wasn't even until he sec- secured that job and came out and played good. Like week one where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'll send, I think he's worth more than a first. I think he, he's in that conversation because even in the offseason, we were saying, well, second round pick is a fair r- gamble. Oh, gamble. I mean, that, right now you'd be looking at that like it was a steal. Brock Purdy is going to be a quarterback for a while. So, yeah, I just want to throw out to you, Tim. When do you feel comfortable moving? Should your manners be more aggressive, or do you think that these are a, a little bit of misleading cases? I think it comes, there's a lot of that that can be unpacked from this conversation because I'm one that
2: I really don't like to go early because, like you said, there's a lot of times that you can be wrong, as well as that we can look back so many times of players that have had good maybe five, six week stretches and then never reached those levels ever again. So I'd almost rather be the one that overpays a little bit later. Now, I truly believe that Pook is the real deal. And I always liked Purdy, but I thought he was kind of a turnover machine the last couple of years in college, stuff like that. And then really the idea about what he was worth was what was going to happen with Lance. Was the team really going to commit to Lance for one more season to be like, we gave it the whole college try. And then you really, I don't want to say lose a lot of value with Purdy, but we don't have anything solidified with Purdy going into this season. If let's say Lance got all of last season to prove it, so it would be kind of where you're kind of still on that that teeter totter either way. So by Purdy kind of proving himself, I've I've been I've gone on record already kind of talking about this year's draft class, and I think in terms of what we're talking about for risk as well as point production, I think at Purdy's worth like the 103. Not saying you have to pay the 103 in terms of value, but I would take Purdy over most of the quarterbacks in this class, and I'm even talking about like trading caleb upside for it not saying i would once again trade like the 101 or 102 for purdy but i feel a lot safer putting a quarterback in at, at my either my second quarterback position or even my first quarterback position in purdy than risking what i'm getting from caleb so i think there's it's really a, a risk question as well as like how many times are you hitting on your fourth round picks like tank dell maybe was pro, could have been by adp a fourth round pick or late third we're talking Puka most of the other players missed. And I understand that most of the other players didn't break out, but also what what is this in terms of window of scoring that we see from these players most of the time where it kind of like disappears? Like we could talk Romeo Dobbs the year prior where he's had good games, but do you even feel comfortable him being a top two or top three wide receiver on that team right now? I think there could be arguments that Wicks, Reed, Watson, maybe even Heath, depending on what next year looks like, that we don't know if that will solidify yards. So a lot of times <laughs> yeah, like <both> you're, <laughs>
0: you're,
2: you're better cashing out in, in certain situations you are buying in.
0: Yeah. It's, it's what, like, I feel like this is going to be that underdog class. Like we're going to remember like this year for a long time because of how many of these cases we had this year, like this is abnormal, right? To have this many of these players that weren't that highly thought of going into the year that just blew the season. Like we're, like markers of the season they like this is the the highlight like when we think about the 2023 season we're gonna be talking about these names right um and i hope like no one takes like the wrong uh like takeaway from that like i don't want people to be thinking like well third round picks could be tank dell like tank dells are rare you know uh fourth round picks could be puka Nakua. like that's really rare like that rarely happens so like it doesn't change my perspective on those picks. Like I still like to accumulate them when I can, but at the end of the day, they don't mean that much in trades. Uh, I think like player by player basis, like it's a little bit of a cop-out, but to say like moving on them is, is a player by player basis. I think a lot of it has to depend on what your priors were going in. If you thought that, you know, like Puka Nikula was bad in college and he got that volume in the beginning of the season, you thinking, well, when, cup comes back like that's going away you know uh i think like we have to be able to really be nimble and ready to analyze these players as they come in and see what's real you know um there is like the puka like the volume thing you could argue you know who else was matthew stafford gonna throw to and we know that matthew stafford is a kingmaker so Puka Deku is getting all these targets, but like you watch Puka play and you're like, this guy is for real. He looks really good out there. I think there's some realness to this. There was still some like re- reason for apprehension because we did know Cooper Cup was coming back. And what would that mean for both of them on the field? But if you had any doubts about that, the moment they their first game together, it, di- it was obvious. So it, do- it doesn't matter if these two are going to be, you know, just crushing it together. Um, I think like Devonta Chain was the hard one for me, just because it's so hard to put faith in a 188 pound running back and how real that is. I do think that like everyone, if you haven't already, start to like adjust a little bit to this new NFL and how younger offensive minded head coaches are getting better and more used to using these types of players, the way that they could be optimized in the NFL. Same way that like wide receivers started to get smaller and we continue to see success with them. I think we're starting to see a little bit with running backs too. Uh, that's still a little bit of a, a hard thing to grasp, I think for me, but after a couple of games of watching Devin, a chain out there is uh, <laughs> another one. Where it was like, you just watch him play and like, Guy, man, this guy's dynamic. He may only get 12 to 15 touches a game, but it may not matter on that because he's like scoring 20 points per game on that main touches. So yeah, I, I do think it's something where uh, when, when big, when unheralded players or players do way better than they think you think they were going to, you really got to dig deep and look at it and think like, does this look real? Does this not look real? What, what am I reading? Talk to the people you trust who are watching the film, you know, listen to the people you trust. What do they think about it? It's, it's yeah. tough, but yeah.
1: Yeah, Tim, I, I I posed this question a while a little bit ago and I I want to throw it your way. Where do you think that this is just like a trend, like a fad, or do you think the NFL is legitimately shifting? We have a year where I'll I'll take Karin Williams out of it because the speed isn't quite there, even though his BMI is like a twenty eight point six or whatever. Um, where we had Devon Hand breakout, sub twenty eight BMI. The same year, James Cook, top ten running back. Sub-28 BMI. We've got players. Tutu outwell started the year strong. Of course, I didn't quite believe as the same as the players playing a lot of the majority of the snaps out of the Slower Cooper Cup was going to come back. But I digress. We had players then tank Dell. We've got the whole wide receiver class. Last year, your Chris Olave is coming in a little smaller. You've got um, Zay Flowers smaller. We like these smaller wide receivers Um the smaller running backs, speed is killing in the league. Do you think the league is changing towards these players? Maybe we now need to change the way we think about these players where it doesn't matter if they're sub-28 BMI. Are they going to a system where speed is going to excel? Do you think the league's changed, or do you think that these are just outlier players? I think it's a little both because personally, and I've taken this stance
2: uh, over the last probably 18 months, but the perfect guy I can use as an illustration for this is Jordan Addison. I think Jordan Addison type wide receivers are the future of the league guy that could fall into that as well is Olave because I don't think um, tall, big wide receivers that can't bend have the same advantage that they did five, six years ago. I, I think was thinking about this yesterday. I think the NFL kind of evolves in like a seven year window where basically player comes in has impact on the league. League has to change. And then the whole paradigm shifts again. So, you can even see it with quarterbacks and things of that nature where basically a quarterback comes in, resets how defenses need to play those defenses shift change. Then another quarterback comes in, um, shifts the paradigm like Cam Newton. Cam Newton is an amazing player, was an amazing player, one of the best to ever like be able to watch play. But would you think he'd have the same success in today's league? He might rush as well, but the windows are tighter a lot of the time. I don't know if it would be the same NFL for him. So for me, I think that there is an evolution, but I don't think you can do it on a, a mass scale. I think when you're talking about running backs that are that small, yes, you want you want that opportunity to have a slashing running back. One of the reasons why I was kind of off on A-chain was not all, all that he was because he was small, but because I didn't think he could run inside. But they have him running inside, but he's also running in, in an offense where he's not touched for the first five to seven yards on the plays he makes big plays. So he's really not running inside because no one's no one's contacting him. so I think the system really matters on that on that uh, conversation as to where they fall or where they fit but I know the NFL is getting smaller because they are getting faster but then if we want to talk let's say just real quick James Cook James Cook has Josh Allen next to him James Cook is always going to have better looks than most other running backs in the league what James Cook has proven this year is that he's been a lot more successful in the passing game creating more yardage after he catches the ball which is something he didn't do both in college and in the first few years of his career in the NFL, just because he, he didn't seem to have any contact balance to stay up. And so a lot of defenses didn't respect his ability to even catch the football because they would let him catch it and just knock him over. So I think he's improved in that area. Um, And I think more or less that's a case by case, or even like the anomaly to the question than it is really
0: the answer. Uh, Skylar here, this last one, what do we got?
1: Yeah. As we mentioned with Karen Williams, I said, I traded Karen Williams for a Jahan Dawson share and I felt really good about it. I remember I sent that screenshot to the JDB chat. Cause obviously we're notoriously <laughs> big fans of Jahan Dawson and his game. Yeah. And, that one has blown up a little bit in my face here now. And I do want to talk a little bit about Jahan Dotson because there are a lot of manners going out. Now, this offseason, I do want to say as much as we love Jahan Johnson in rookie drafts two years ago, we were exercising caution going into last year. We actually were, because we were saying he's getting at a point where people are thinking him in the fifth, sixth round of Superflex startup drafts. And for us, that's just where it's it's not worth. the the risk is not worth the reward, right? He hasn't proven to be this guy could come in and be your set and forget wide receiver too, but you are drafting him where he almost has to do so. And we we were saying the case study was a year prior, a wide receiver. We also loved in drafts that we felt was a huge value at the beginning of the second round or at the end of the first round was Elijah Moore. And this was a guy who two years ago, he got boosted up to that fourth, fifth, sixth round Super Bowl starter price. And then he really, really hurt a lot of managers coming out of their drafts. So we luckily for you guys, as much as you know we love Jahan Dodson, we were telling you to pump the brakes on that cost because of Elijah Moore. But now I'm looking two years into the league with Jahan Dodson where he's wide receiver 55 in the year right now a year where Elijah Moore is wide receiver 52. And then last year on his rookie year where he really showed up for us, he was wide receiver 50 and Elijah Moore on the rookie year where we fell in love with him was wide receiver 48. So it's crazy how two guys that we had a lot of similarities in their games coming in, which is why we like both these players are putting up relatively similar numbers. And it's kind of scary. John Dawson's only had over 20% of the team's targets three times this year. He had over 20% each of Washington's, final five games, the five games he played in to finish last year. So that is the big part that has me concerned here, right? We know he's, we thought he was a good route runner. We knew there was touchdown upside here. He had 11 and a half percent touchdown rate last year. Of course it was going to come down. He's at a 1.9% touchdown rate this year, which is pitifully low. And the team is averaging the exact amount of passing touchdowns last year is this year. So it's not like that number overall has changed on the team. I guess I'll push this to Tim because I know you've watched a lot of Washington just being a guy who was in on Sam Howell in the past, is like guys like McLaurin. You like Jahan Dotson on tape just like us. Uh, you, you're a fan of Brian Robinson. I know you, you've watched a lot of Washington. Is it just Washington with Jahan Dotson? Or if we learn now, Jahan Dotson is a wide receiver who might have points in his career where he spikes as a wide receiver three, but he's not the type of guy you should ever invest meaningful assets in because at the end of the day, he doesn't have the elite traits that those undersized guys like Jordan Addison has.
2: I think I'd be buying Dotson, to be honest with you. I understand what you're saying in comparison to Elijah Moore, who was, I was even higher on Elijah Moore than I was Dotson. I thought Dotson would be a nice wide receiver two or wide receiver three on a team. But what we've seen from Dotson, and I understand we're talking touchdown percentage, but we, we what we, what we have seen from Dotson when he's been on is that he is a touchdown scorer. And it's very rare for a lot for many wide receivers to be able to to have that label, and so I think with him having the ability to really have that nose for the end zone, I, I believe that this is just kind of a, a weird fluky year with the quarterback situation. For how many times that Sam Howell has played well, that he, basically Terry McFlorin has disappeared as well at the same time. So, I think that even bringing in like a Brissette would would be more beneficial to like the overall health of the wide receiver performances. So I think it's only it's only going to be nose up for these guys if they end up moving on from Howell. But I also think that there's growth within Howell's game as well. So I think that dotson for me if it's anything that's not considered significant draft capital because once again we we're talking about third and fourth round picks, right? Before that that paradigm's going to shift so bad in those direction that these these picks are going to be so overvalued. I would be hunting out trades or moves to to try to go get guys like Dotson because Dotson may end up always being at best a wide receiver three but he's a wide receiver three with wide receiver high wide receiver two volume or uh, value on a week-to-week basis where he can put up those points because he can score multiple touchdowns so for me I'm taking the risk of moving the guys that are going to be in the third and fourth round not hitting versus a guy that I've already seen do it and we've also seen that in the year that he has suffered compared to what our expectations were most of the other players in that offense has too like you're i forget if it was skylar or if it was jake that said this that basically sam howell is what top 10 in the league in in fantasy points but like he doesn't have like top 24 wide receivers like how does that
1: work yeah i was throwing that out there he doesn't he didn't have a top 18 tight end he didn't have a top 24 wide receiver yeah he didn't even have a top 12 running back like it's it's crazy how we got no value we got and we got like an eight week stretch of brian robinson in the middle of the season and nothing else nothing beyond spike weeks from anyone else on that offense despite sam howell 14 weeks through the season being like the quarterback like six or whatever he was at that point It, it blew my mind how washington was operating it was the most meaningless stats in all of fantasy football It blew my mind and it was the most aggravating thing ever. And I think that's where I'm kind of with you, Tim, where I don't have exact numbers for you guys yet. We're hopefully by the time March rolls on, we're going to have very specifics of where we value all of these players versus upcoming draft picks. We're going to have sheets. We're going to have a bunch of stuff for that. If you want to join our discord, it's free down there. We're going to have tons of conversations. Mock drafts are going to be going all the time. We'll have very concrete valuations, of these players versus upcoming draft class. But right now, any back half second, And beyond, I would probably rather have Jahan Dotson because I believe in the player. For us, he was a late first course in a class without quarterback. So take that what you will, maybe an early second type actual value at his draft time. His situation's bad. I don't know if it necessarily gets better. So the only air of caution I have with Jahan Dotson, you shouldn't be acquiring him on a team where you're saying, he's now my wide receiver four. I need him to be my wide receiver four. And that was my problem I had with people last year when he crept in that sixth round. He had to be your wide receiver two, or your wide receiver three. And if you had him on a team where he had to be your wide receiver two, wide receiver three, you had a terrible season. You banked on a player who did not help you. And I think Johan Dotson could have another year where he just does not help you. But similar to how, and I have a little bit more hope for Jahan maybe than Elijah, just because we are a year further in Elijah's career, but even Elijah more to an extent, if we're on that late second, early third, which I think gets done at points of this off season, depending on your league and your lead mates and how excited they get for this rookie class, they're players. I just like to have on the end of my bench when it's not a guy I'm going to depend on. It's not a guy I need to score me points. They are players that I love to stash. It's, it's tough to, it's, it hurts me to call Jahan Dotson a stash, but whenever you can invest in Jahan Dotson or Elijah Moore is even cheaper as a stash, a guy to sit down there at the end of the bench, if you have the luxury of having a deeper bench in your dynasty league, I'm still in on Jahan Dotson. I still like the player. I still think he's got the ability to score touchdowns and not a lot of wide receivers have. And uh, I'm, I'm not out yet. So I agree with you, Tim. I, I just want to phrase the question to see if you would go a different way with it on Jahan Dotson to open the conversation um, but but that is where I stand. It's not a guy that I would invest in with the intention of counting on him. Because there's other players I do invest in where I'm counting on them. Right. If I'm moving, uh you'd have to move a little bit more, but we're moving in on players like Chris Godwin, Amari Cooper. I need them to score me points. Like I am getting those guys because they are point scorers where I'm not putting that same expectation on Jahan Dotson. And I think we see this a lot in Dynasty because there are are a lot of these young guys. It's such an ageist game that a lot of your rankings or your trade calculators have these young guys valued so high. But at the end of the day, we need points. And these guys could break out and end up scoring way more points, but there's no guarantee in it. But if you invest in them to the point where they have to score you points or you're a bad team, it's probably a bad investment. It's why we always love when you have these young guys If you do end up selling them, okay, give me a guy who's going to give me points and then give me the picks. Don't just do straight picks. If I'm selling off of a veteran, maybe a higher wide receiver, and instead of just getting straight picks, throw me the the Jahan Dawson with that pick, right? I I, I don't have a name at the top. If you are selling Brandon Ayuk and the guy's willing to give you more than a first, he's willing to give you a first and a, a third or first and a second, and you can get Jahan Dawson thrown into that deal, I love it. Because we're investing in young guys that have talent, but they don't have to score us points. And I, I just see that a lot where people show me their 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 startups or you know, their teams going into season, their young teams, their rebuilding teams. And there's a lot of these young guys. And I'm like, I love it. But there isn't a guarantee that this team's going to be good because you are depending on these guys. Even a player we love, like a Garrett Wilson, there was no guarantee the guy was going to get you those points you needed. And if you were moving off of Last year, you know, top, top wide receiver, um, you know, like going in for, for on his rookie year, if that time you're moving off at Avante Adams, I would have loved to have grabbed the pick to get the Garrett Wilson and, and a pick or, and a veteran. Right, it's not just going in and demanding that these young guys come in and give you points because there just isn't that guarantee. Obviously, I think Garrels he's a, he's a higher tier, but I'm just I'm still saying just in general with these young players that aren't in set situations that don't have the sample size. I I just I just want some points with it because your your team was bad. If you if you invested in Jahan Dawson in the sixth round this year, your team stunk. If you invested in Elijah Moore in the sixth round of your startup two years ago, your team stunk. So I just want to air that caution a player people might love this year uh he's probably worth a little bit more but he might be in that conversation like a zay flowers right you shouldn't be going out and buying zay flowers it's like well he's my wide receiver two my team's great if you have to have wide receiver two production from zay flowers to be a good team next year you're in a really scary spot i would try to find other ways to kind of hedge against that and find other value whether it's bringing in veterans on the cheap that can potentially be there if Zay flowers doesn't come in and is a wide receiver two next year that could work if it could be potentially selling zay flowers unfortunately at a high point a high price in the offseason and bringing in another young guy you believe in but then adding a veteran or another pick just to just to hedge against it i think that also works
0: yeah you know i i'm more in on Jahan dotson than not um you look at what changed for him last year it's basically a different qb and a new offensive coordinator is that what made this happen i i don't know like i where that's where my mind goes just because that's that's the difference between last year and this year now we've got a qb who you know i think spreads the ball around a lot and then an offensive coordinator who has his system and yeah with eric b enemy you know he has his system and it sounds like he might stick around even if Ron Rivera doesn't. So like, there's some concern there that maybe Jahan Dotson isn't quite gonna have a role that we like in Eric Bieniemy's offense. I don't know, but like, I do just look back at the scouting profile we did on him. Really like that. Really like what he was able to show as a rookie, even while battling through some injuries. So yes, I'm more out or more in than out. I agree with the valuations you guys were throwing out there. But that's gonna wrap things up for us. You can follow. All of us on Twitter, Skylar's at the FF Buffalo, I'm at YP underscore FF, Tim's at Nubs, Double N double B. JWB is at JWB underscore FF. You can find all of us in the pin tweet on there as well as well as all of our content. And you can also find it at jwbfancyble.com. As I said in the beginning of the show, if you have not liked and subscribed yet, please do so. It would mean the world to us to help us to continue to grow and do bigger and better things for all of you out there. In the description of this video, you will find a few things that we've already mentioned in the show the free discord you'll find the patreon for all of our cool bonus content and that free clips catalog if you ever want to see what we have had to say about anyone basically in the league and lastly if you're not on underdog yet and you want to be and draft some under these underdog tournaments you can sign up with code jdb for a first time deposit match up to 100 i appreciate all of you we will see you next time